Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you that you completely, fully satisfy us. Lord Jesus, you are our satisfaction. And Father, I pray that as we work through this passage this morning, that we might see you as the one who, the one true shepherd who fully satisfies. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 6 as we continue the series in the Gospel of Mark, we'll be looking at verses 30 through 44, a very familiar passage of Jesus feeding the 5,000, beginning with verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fishes, two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the loaves, the five loaves and two fish, he, took, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What do you need? This is a question that is commonly asked and a question we commonly are asked. The answer depends on the circumstances. We may need a meal. We may need money. We may need a ride. We may need a place to stay. We may need good, godly counsel, or we may need a shoulder to cry on. In today's passage, Mark answers this question in a universal and definitive way. What we need above everything else, what we need 24 hours a day, seven days a week, regardless of the circumstances, is the one true shepherd who gives us rest, who shows us compassion, and who makes provision for our full satisfaction. First, Jesus gave the apostles rest. Look at verses 31 through 32 of the passage that we read. The 12 apostles needed to come away and rest a while with Jesus, the one true shepherd, 
and so do we. Faithful work is demanding. Moms and dads know this very well. We may spend a great and busy day with our kids, but when those kids finally go to bed, there's a big sigh of relief. Finally, we can rest. While we are thankful for successes in both our work and for those of us in ministry, the work of ministry, we are mindful of the fact that work and ministry are demanding. It comes at a cost. We need a respite from the demands. We need rest. Work and rest are biblical. God created Adam and Eve after his own image. He created them to be producers, to work, to create, to invent, to discover, and he instituted rest for them that they may come away from that work for a time, for a respite. God created in six days, then he rested from his creative work. And he has given this sabbatical pattern to us that we experience every week, the pattern of work and rest. It is critical for us. We were created to work and we were created to rest. In verses 7 through 13, Jesus commissioned, and this is in Mark 6, Jesus commissioned the 12 to go and to proclaim the gospel that he had been proclaiming and then to validate that message by performing miracles, the very miracles like the ones our Lord was performing. And now the the apostles returned to report to Jesus, and our text says in verse 30, all that they had done and taught. And it was an encouraging report of successful and fruitful ministry preaching the gospel and performing miracles to authenticate that message. And and we get a taste of just how successful that mission of the apostles was in verse 31. While they were updating Jesus, waves and waves of people were coming and going to the extent that the apostles did not even have our text says leisure to take a break, to get something to eat. And we may assume that their entire mission was this demanding, just waves of people responding to the message they preached, coming to them to be healed of all sorts of diseases, to have demons cast out, all to point to Jesus and his kingdom. Fruitful, successful, but demanding. They needed rest. It can be very difficult to hit the pause button on either ministry or work when everything seems to be going well, when everything in our job, in our ministry is flourishing. But look at Jesus' life. He, He left needs unmet time and time again. We see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus would leave ministry and retreat to a desolate place for rest. Just one example, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. But now even more the report about him, that is Jesus, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw 
to desolate places and pray. Now Jesus said to the twelve, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while in verse 31. Their destination, Mark doesn't give, but Luke does in Luke chapter 9 and verse 10. It is a small town, Bethsaida, that they would go to a desolate place in the vicinity of this small town. Bethsaida is on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee, just where the Jordan River flows into the sea from the north. And the easiest and most direct route to Bethsaida for Jesus and the twelve was by boat. And so they set sail from the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee by themselves, verse 32, to take about a four-mile voyage straight across the sea to the small town of Bethsaida and then to travel up a hill to what Mark calls a desolate place. We might think of this desolate place as a place that is uninhabited, a place that is uncultivated. Think of it as a wilderness, for that is what it was. Well, why? Why would Jesus call them to go to such a wilderness place? Surely there were places where they could get away from the people where they were. The obvious answer is they did need rest from the demands of ministry, but I think there's a more profound reason than that. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see a theme popping up, or at least echoes of this theme, time and time again, and it's the wilderness motif. The Gospel begins with John the Baptist's ministry, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, just in the first few verses of the Gospel we find this account. And then Jesus was baptized by John and tempted by Satan in the wilderness. In places like Mark chapter 2 and verse 45, we find, again, Mark telling us about Jesus going to desolate places as a retreat to pray, to rest. One of the themes of Scripture, the whole of Scripture, is God providing rest for his people in wilderness places. Moses and his assistant Joshua led the people of Israel into the wilderness, that Exodus generation, and where and what was promised to them rest in the land of Canaan. Joshua chapter 1 verse 13, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. But not only the Exodus generation, the exile generation was promised rest as well. We look at passages like Jeremiah 31 and verse 2 where those exiles coming from Babylon are promised rest in the wilderness. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace, found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. Here we find God transforming the wilderness to give rest to his covenant people. Our text today finds the ultimate expression of this hope 
of the Exodus and the exile generations in Jesus. Mark seems to be pointing to Jesus as a new Moses, a greater Moses, who gathers his apostles and his people in the wilderness in a new sort of exodus that they might find rest and ultimately find rest in heaven itself to which the promised land pointed. In the desolate place, the wilderness, Jesus, the one shepherd, the one true shepherd gives rest to his people. Many of us are weary because of work, ministry, and life being a drudgery. Some of us may be weary because of the demands and the success and the fruitfulness of work and ministry. But regardless of the cause of our weariness, it points to the fact that we need rest, the rest that only the one true shepherd can provide. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you need rest today? This rest may look like what we're doing right now, observing the Christian Sabbath. According to the, the commandment, the fourth commandment, so rest may look like coming away and rest a while in worship, coming away and rest a while in observing the Sabbath day, one of seven, the Lord's day, the first day of the week. But finding this rest, coming away and resting a while may look like something that every believer should be committed to every day, daily communion with Jesus, where we retreat to a desolate place, as it were, a place of solitude, a place where we can commune with our Savior, where we can read His Word, where we can pray and commune with Him in prayer and meditate upon Him. The twelve needed to come away and rest a while. And they needed to come away and rest a while with Jesus, the one true shepherd, the only one who can give us the rest that we need. And we need that rest as well. Second, Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Look at Mark chapter 6, verses 33 through 34. The great crowd needed the compassion of the one true shepherd, and so do we. Likely you have experienced days when you've been so busy, the demands of work or ministry or the demands of the family have been such that maybe you could only unplug and rest for just a brief moment. And then before you know it, the assignments, the demands start coming at you again. You need rest, but sometimes rest is very short-lived. The twelve experienced rest, but it was very short-lived. So who got there first? The boat or the crowd? 
So you look at verse 33. It appears to support the view that the crowd beat the boat to Bethsaida. However, in the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, it's pretty clear that Jesus and the disciples arrived at their destination first, journeyed up the hill to this desolate place in the vicinity of Bethsaida, and then later, after the crowd got there, Jesus saw them and went ashore. Mark does not contradict the other Gospels. The, the, the uh, notion in verse 33, or the notation in verse 33, is best understood as the crowd that gathered from all the towns recognized Jesus and the disciples as they were out in the boat sailing. And so they started off on foot following them as they were voyaging on the Sea of Galilee. The crowd was journeying on foot. And at certain points, it looked like to the crowd that they were ahead of the boat. But since the boat was going only about four miles, the crowd probably had a journey on foot more like 10 miles. And not only that, but they would reach a point where they would have to cross the Jordan River. And so the accounts of Matthew, Luke, and John help us understand that Mark isn't contradicting them, but just simply giving a notation, maybe from the viewpoint of the crowd on foot as they're traveling at points looking like they're ahead of the boat, but yet it doesn't necessitate thinking that the crowd got there first. In other words, we should view Jesus and the disciples arriving at Bethsaida, going to the desolate place where they rest for a while, and then the crowd arrives and Jesus sees them on the shore and he goes to them. Here's the important point, not who got there first and how do we understand that. I think the Gospels uh, do not contradict one another here. But the point is this, that the disciples rested but only for a short time. Doesn't life feel like that? In ministry and work, we take just a brief rest and then the demands start coming back and here we see it in verse 34 that Jesus went ashore that is he went down to the great crowd that had gathered on the shore and he had compassion on them you know we encounter Jesus having compassion throughout the gospels in fact Jesus tells a parable about a father having compassion, and I would submit to you that Jesus is, is helping us understand his compassion. Very familiar parable, the parable of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, we'll get to that in just a moment, but, but you may remember the story. The son, the younger son, comes to his father, says, Father, give me my inheritance. The father heard that as, I guess the son wants me dead. But the father gave him the inheritance that he would get. And the younger son, the prodigal son, went off and completely wasted it, squandered it in prodigal living. And he hit rock bottom. He found himself desiring the empty pods from which the pigs had eaten. That just illustrates just how low this young man fell. He rejected his father, but he came to his senses and said, you know what, I would be better off as a servant in my father's household, so I will go back. 
This young man lost everything, and he returns home, likely with his head hung low, desiring simply to be a servant in his father's household. And then we read this in verse 20 of Luke 15. And he, that is the father, arose, I mean, the, the son, the prodigal son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father saw his returning son in absolute ruin, but he had compassion on him. And he received him, he embraced him, he kissed him, he restored this lost son, and he celebrated over him. That's what compassion looks like. And that is the compassion that Jesus has for sinners. In verse 34, Jesus had compassion on that great crowd gathered there because they were like lost sheep without a shepherd. Our Lord's words reflect the promise in Ezekiel 34 that William read earlier. The context of this passage is the utter failure of the shepherds of Israel, that is the kings of Israel. Instead of leading the people, they profited from the people selfishly. And so the people were like sheep without a shepherd because there was no shepherd, says Ezekiel in Israel. There was no faithful shepherd. And God promised in verse 23 of chapter 34 of Ezekiel, the one true shepherd in the line of David. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. This prophecy is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it in this text. He is the one true faithful shepherd who had compassion on, these, on the lost sheep. And he provided what they needed. And what did they need? Mark chapter 6, verse 34, the last part of that tells us what they really needed. And the text says this, And he, Jesus, began to teach them many things. Their fundamental need was the gospel, God's word, the truth. We live in a day where compassion is so greatly misunderstood. If you were to go out and ask the government or ask an organization or just ask anyone on the street, hey, would, would you define compassion? I would suggest that more than not, the definition that we would get defining compassion is this. Compassion is giving people what they want. That is not Jesus' compassion. By the way, that is not compassion as we understand it in the Bible. Compassion is not giving people what they want. Compassion is giving people what they need. And what this crowd needed for their eternal life 
was the gospel message, the call to repentance and to trust in Jesus as Messiah. That's what they needed for eternity. They needed a shepherd to take them to the green pasture where they might feed on the eternal word of God. They needed to be fed with God's word, protected by God's word, healed by God's word, led in their souls by God's word for their eternal good. Jesus had compassion as the shepherd. And so what I want to do now is to read a psalm to you. And as I read this psalm, just meditate upon these words and and see, hear, the compassion that the shepherd has for his flock. Hear the compassion the one true shepherd has for you and for me for our eternal good. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That crowd needed the one true shepherd to show them compassion and we need that compassion too. Third, Jesus provided a meal for this great crowd. Look at verses 35 through 44. The crowd needed the one true shepherd's miraculous provision to fully satisfy, and so do we. Our kitchen crew does an outstanding job of fixing our fellowship meals. And on some occasions, as I've gone through the kitchen while they're working, I I hear something to this effect. Uh, We need this food to stretch like the breads and and like the bread, the loaves and the fishes, because peop, uh, we have more people showing up than signed up. This is a commercial. When we have a fellowship meal, would you please bless our kitchen crew and sign up and show up? End of commercial. Somehow everyone is fed. And I often hear this it's a miracle. And in a sense, it is. Mark makes it clear this provision of food is from the hands of Jesus, a true miracle. Look at verses 35 through 36. Jesus taught until it was late. The disciples came to Jesus and asked him to send the crowd away into the villages for food. Everyone was hungry because this was a desolate place and there's no McDonald's nearby. Verse 34, the text tells us there are like 5,000 men present, which probably means there were over 20,000 people there, including women and children. Verses 37 through 38, Jesus asked them to give this massive crowd something to eat, and the disciples 
came up with this, this great uh, solution, somewhat sarcastic. Okay, Jesus, you want us to give them something to eat? Then we'll just go buy 200 denarii worth of bread at, at the local bakery. 200 denarii equals 200 days of wages for a laborer. Obviously, Jesus knew they didn't have that money. They knew they didn't have that money. They knew they couldn't provide, somewhat sarcastic. Jesus asked them, well, then you go up in the crowd and determine how many loaves we have. And so they did. They determined five loaves and two dried fish. And Jesus came back and instructed them to sit down on the green grass on this this slope there in the wilderness above Bethsaida overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's not unusual to find green slopes in, in the wilderness, especially after a rain. But this really points to the fact that Jesus that Old Testament imagery of Jesus turning the wilderness into a place of life and refreshment for his people, a place of blessing. Dr. Lane sees this as, as an echo of what God did to that Exodus generation. So Jesus said, divide them up into groups of 100 and groups of 50. Think about how Israel, the tribes, were organized into groups as they were preparing to go into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Again, an echo of that, that exodus and that wilderness and that promise of rest that was given to that exiled generation. In verses 41 through 42, our Lord uh, took the loaves and the fishes. He looked up to heaven. He, he blessed the meal, showing that that meal providing for that crowd depended on God's power at work. And he broke the five loaves and set them before the people. He divided the two fishes and set them before the people. Jesus' blessing and breaking and dividing that food points to the fact that he was the one at the center of this meal. He was the focal point. Just like God providing manna for Israel in the wilderness that sustained them on their journey to the promised land, that same power provided bread for this multitude from the hand of Jesus. And this miracle points to Jesus as the true bread. We think of John Chapter 6, verse 31 through 35. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In verses 42 through 43, this provision in the wilderness, this bread that Jesus gave, pointing to his provision of himself, fully satisfied the people. So plentiful was this meal that 12 baskets full of bread and fish were collected. And we must see Jesus as the one true shepherd who provides himself as the true bread of life from heaven to fully satisfy his people. The miracle points to Jesus as God's provision. So what do you need? Mark answers this question 
in this way, everyone needs the one true shepherd who gives rest, who shows compassion, and who provides the true bread from heaven, Jesus himself, that fully satisfies. And how does the one true shepherd accomplish this rest, this compassion, this provision for God's people? Sacrifice. In John chapter 10, Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. What do you need? Mark answers, we all need the one true shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, that they might have rest, that they might receive his compassion, and that they might be fully satisfied with his bread for eternity. Jesus is who we need. And today, will you put your faith and trust in the one true shepherd, Jesus? And if you are already part of his flock, Will you continue to trust him? Jesus is the one true shepherd who gives us rest, who shows us compassion, who provides for everything we need to spend eternity as his flock in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, our one shepherd, our true shepherd, and we ask you, Lord, that you would cause us to seek him, to trust him, to find our satisfaction only in him, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand and take